Hello, and welcome back to episode nine. Nine weeks, guys, we did it so far. So, um, last week was another crazy one. All these stories are just mind-blowing to me and also terrifying to think about what could happen to people if you are wrongfully convicted of something that you didn't do. That may be my biggest fear in the whole world. Or snakes. I hate snakes. But here we go with episode nine. A murder in Peekskill. So this story starts off November of 1989 in Peekskill, New York. I don't know if you can hear this, but it's raining right now. It makes it even more eerie, this story. A crazy, crazy story that will leave you thinking, oh my goodness. So, let's begin. On November 15th, 1989, a young woman, Angela Correa, was going out to work on a photography class. She was 16 years old. She left her place with just her camera and a uh, portable cassette player. You remember those things? Well, she went out and she did not return home. Two days later, they found Angela's body. She was found naked and she'd been raped and strangled to death. A young woman gone obviously too soon in a terrible, terrible way. So, the investigation starts. This was such a strange occurrence in this town, they really didn't know where to go from. But, they noticed something a little different about one of Angela's friends from school. His name was Jeff. And Jeff just showed some strange signs after Angela had been found. Whenever it was time for her wake, he went to her wake three times. And at her funeral, he was said to have been sobbing loudly. Like, they were somewhat close, he'd... Uh, He'd worked with her in her algebra class, but no one thought they were really that close for him to be that upset about this. So that raised some suspicion, obviously, and they wanted to talk to Jeff. Well, here's what Jeff was doing after this uh, murder had happened. He was so concerned with what happened to Angela that he even started his own investigation he started looking into it and had notes of possible suspects. And he took that to the police, thought he, he was being a helpful citizen, right? Well, that also raised suspicions with the police, though. So they brought Jeff in for questioning. 
and they asked him if he would be willing to take a polygraph test. And they told Jeff, if you pass this test, then of course you won't even be a suspect and we'll take your notes and tell him everything that he wants to hear. Well, Jeff, I don't know if that was a great idea. You see, what happened was, is when they brought Jeff in, they brought in a polygraph expert. And this polygraph expert said, quote, that he was hired by the sheriff's department to, quote, get the confession. Whoa. That's, uh... I don't know if that's how you should start an investigation, but they zeroed in on Jeff here and they're going to get a confession out of him. So what do they do? This kid is 16 years old. Well, they take Jeff to the station and they give him coffee, but no food. They don't let his parents or a lawyer in the room with him. Hours and hours and hours go by. He's polygraphed three separate times in just this one day. Hours later, still no food, only has coffee in his system. He starts to maybe think, oh my God, maybe I did this. And they just keep hammering on him, hammering on him. We know you did this, you know. We can tell that you did this. This was all you. You killed your friend. And then the detective said that he realized that he might be responsible for this. So Jeff starts describing the crime. He was talking in the third person to begin with, and then he switched to the first person and walked them through what happened. Jeff said, I lost my temper. He said that he hit her in the head with a Gatorade bottle, and then he put his hands over her mouth to keep her quiet. And he just held his hands there too long, and she suffocated and died. And Jeff was crying. He was sobbing. He's saying, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I didn't, I didn't mean to kill her, but I killed her, and I'm sorry. They said by the end of this interrogation, Jeff was in the fetal position, bawling underneath the table. Wow. So, that's all they needed to charge Jeff with Angela's murder. So they move on to the trial. And this gets interesting, to say the least. So, with the evidence that they had going to trial is when they found her, they found semen that she had been raped. But there was no semen on her clothes anywhere. And they tested that DNA. And we're going to find out what those test results were at the trial. So the trial was pretty short and sweet for Jeff here. And let's see what you think you would decide. They led with this confession. They have it all on tape. They are showing this jury a video of Jeff saying, 
exactly how he killed his friend Angelo. How it was an accident, but he did kill her. He said that he did. He came out and said that he murdered this woman. Well, that's a pretty strong evidence whenever you're at whenever you're a juror. If you see the defendant confessing to the crime, should be pretty open and shut, right? Well, here comes the DNA evidence. The semen that they found on the victim did not match Jeff. What? It did not match him. It was not his DNA. Well, guess what? The DA says it doesn't even matter. It doesn't matter that it's not his DNA on this dead body we found. Because here's what really happened. He says that Angela was sleeping with one of Jeff's friends. And he was a scorned lover. And no one could have her but Jeff. So, he found those two having sex. And he went into a fit of rage and killed Angela because she was with somebody else and not him. Okay. Uh, th that is basically the trial. What would you decide in this case? You have two very opposite sides of this. You have one, a confession that he did it. But on the other side, DNA that proves that it wasn't him that raped her. So what would you decide? I know what I would decide, given this evidence to me. Or maybe I don't. Gosh, this is, it's, it's a really tough. I don't know. I would say reasonable doubt. I would say not guilty. What would you say? Well, Jeff was convicted of first-degree rape and second-degree murder. Even though the DNA shows that he was not the source of in the rape kit. But they said that he flew into a jealous rage and killed this woman. So let's break this thing down here. Okay, so they're saying that he flew into a jealous rage and killed this woman. He wasn't the person who the semen was from. Well, then why did he get a rape charge? If he wasn't the person that did it, why did he get charged with rape? But he was still sentenced to 15 years to life in prison. Unbelievable, right? Well, here's where the real story comes in. Apparently, the jury wasn't shown how terrible this confession was coerced. They were just shown that this 16-year-old boy said that he killed this woman, and it was an accident. But ever since that he was sent to jail, and from the beginning, ever, actually right after the confession, he said that he did not do this. He would have never done this. He loved her as a friend. He would never do this. But they didn't want to hear that. 
So he's sent to jail. He's in prison. And they start the appeal process. So his first appeal was pretty basic, saying that he didn't kill this woman because the DNA didn't match. How could he be convicted of this when someone else obviously raped her? That would be the murderer. But the district attorney, Janine Pirro, if you remember her, she said that, I don't really care. Not in those words, obviously, but she denied his appeal. Ten years would go by waiting for another appeal. And what happened then? They denied it again. It took until 2006 for a new DA to authorize the DNA testing. And guess what? Again, they knew that it didn't match his. But this time, they found that it did match somebody else. They found that the DNA matched a man named Stephen Cunningham. And you want to know about Stephen? Well, Stephen was not a good guy. Stephen was actually in prison for another murder. Really? He'd actually strangled another woman and was convicted and sentenced to life in prison. So, they take this DNA evidence and they go to Stephen. And what does Stephen say? Well, Stephen says, yeah, I killed and raped Angela. What? So he pled guilty and was found guilty of Angela's murder. So finally, Jeff, after all this time, is set free. He'd spent 16 years in jail for a crime that he didn't commit. And he was sitting in there this entire time for a person that he truly cared about, her, her, and he's in there for her murder. Well, here's another thing, though. They uh, put together this committee to review the case of retired judges. And they found that this was a giant failure by the prosecutor and the police. They couldn't believe that they downplayed this DNA and that they had such tunnel vision only focusing on Jeff and not looking at any of these other suspects they could have had. And for that, Jeff won a civil trial. And they awarded him $41.6 million. But... Due to a settlement before this trial, he was only awarded $10 million. $10 million for 16 years of your life. Is that enough? Where they also said that it was a, quote, flawed process that led to his conviction. Very sad story. Imagine that, especially the parents of Angela that thought they had this guy, a close friend that 
brutally raped and murdered her, while the other guy wasn't charged until 16 years later. And the DNA evidence that says that he wasn't there, but he was still charged and convicted of the rape. God, that's terrifying. So, that's this week's episode. Thanks so much, everybody that's listening and sharing. I greatly appreciate it. I'm having a great time telling these stories. And I hope you're enjoying it. So, we'll be back next week with another crazy story. But, until then... Please do me a giant favor and have a wonderful week and I'll see you soon. Thanks so much.